So Many Bits. I'm your host, Dan Nielsen, and joining me from my palatial one-bedroom apartment in Chicago is Luis Vidio. Luis, how are you? Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me, welcoming me to So Many Bits, a podcast about... Well, a podcast about video games, as a matter of fact. Oh, it's a video game podcast? Yeah. Oh, it's a video game podcast about video games. I mean, I guess we don't explicitly state that at the top. We don't tell them. The title is kind of a reference, but it's not. I don't know if people know bits anymore. Like, do you think people, like a, a younger gamer knows like what a, the context of the word bit for video games? I don't think so. Like, number of bits computing is something that like young people are concerned about the same way, you know, growing up in the eight bit, sixteen bit generation was. 64 bits. Also, it, it like with so many bits, it's SMB, mm-hmm. which was actually a happy accident. I didn't even plan on that. Yeah. I've, I, I've been, I, in our text messages, I've been referring to this as SMB. Well, you know, there's the podcast uh, 8-4 Play. Yeah. And so they're, they're getting away with an oblique Mario reference. I think we're okay. Yeah. Come at us, Nintendo. We're coming for you for your copyrights, your trademarks, IP theft. We on it. Hey, man, we know you guys are litigious, but our rhymes are vicious. <laughs> Jesus. As a quick reminder, so many bits is brought to you in part by the Second Wind Collective. For more quality podcasts like this one, please visit secondwindcollective.com for details. And so, uh, Luis, it has been a minute. Uh, what have you been playing? So, I've been traveling a bit. In my travels, I have learned to embrace the mobile gaming form in a way I hadn't before. Uh, and I, re- I really got into uh, Monster Hunter Freedom Unite. It's an old, it's, it's like a PSP Monster Hunter that they put on the iPhone. It's 15 bucks on the App Store. Wow, okay. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, Hachimachi. Yeah. But I, I was going to be f- flying internationally and like taking long bus trips. So I figured I, I was going to need a meaty game, and I knew if I was going to get a Monster Hunter that was previously on a PSP, it wouldn't, you know, it would be no small endeavor. And, uh, you know what? Like, so, I've been playing Monster Hunter since, like, the new series of games came out, like, uh, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, That's, that came out, like, two years ago. So I, I'm two years on this Monster Hunter train, and I really wanted to see what, you know, what my grandpappy's Monster Hunters were going to be. You know, old school type thing. Uh, are you familiar with kind of like the history of Monster Hunter, Bill? Gosh, oh boy. I mean, I generally know the, what it's about, but I I know it was big in Japan. That's about all I know. Yeah, so when it was big in Japan, like it was exclusively out on PSP. That that was one of the reasons the PSP was popular in Japan. And that like that's like what sustained it. And when that game made the move to Nintendo consoles like the Wii, um, the 3DS, that also contributed to those platform successes in Japan, because you gotta have Monster Hunter, uh, and I, I'd only been on board from that point. I'd never touched a PSP Monster Hunter until I got this. Bill, I want to show you what I've been playing on. It's this guy right here. That's very cool looking. It's a nice portable system. Oh, Yeah. Portable system, but check it out. <gasps> it's a phone. This is not working on audio medium now that I think about it. I've been playing on this device called the Logitech uh, PowerShell. Uh-huh. Uh, you put your phone in it, and 
it suddenly looks like uh, N-Gage. <laughs> it, it's, it's got a D-pad, five, uh, four face buttons, two shoulder buttons. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of the Atari Lynx. And I'm yeah. sure that does not date me at all. The Atari Lynx, every kid's favorite punching bag. But this is nice. It's, it's got a little bit of heft to it, maybe just because of the phone, but it's a, it's a cool-looking operation you got here. Yeah, these, these power shells cost like 11 bucks on Amazon now. Whoa! Yeah, so if you have an, an iPhone uh, 5, 5S, SE, do yourself a favor and get one of these. Yeah, I got an SE. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a look into that. Yeah, it's and they're available on Prime. Uh, it, it's definitely a different. It's opened my eyes to what gaming could have been if things like if devices like this were popular, if made for iPhone controllers, if they were if they standardized it. It I could see like I was playing mo- a lot of Monster Hunter with like no issue with it. Like Monster Hunter also has has very good touch controls. I'm not gonna lie, but I almost always preferred. To use uh, this PowerShell game controller, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it just feels good having a D pad. You know, it feels good to press a button, to swing a sword. Yeah, I mean that's what we grew up doing. Now, uh, yeah, does your phone have a troubled past? Don't we all? I, I mean, just I guess in this case, I mean, yes, we do. Uh, but like, has it been uh, convicted and sent away somewhere, uh, and then it had to, uh, shall we say, escape from? A prison, or maybe uh, broke out of jail. Oh, I I get you. You know, had to escape in incarceration. Yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it's done that. Oh man, that's that's awkward. You know, but I guess you know you gotta you gotta help out people when they need a hand. You know, what? I'm not I'm I'm not one to kick a phone when it's down. I don't care if it's been in jail. I don't care that it's broken out. Uh, more power to you, you know? Huh. Uh, and actually... Very open-minded of you. Yeah, so, alongside from playing Monster Hunter, I was playing a lot of Fire Emblem. Still on that. Still on that, yeah. You know, like that old-school Fire Emblem? Oh, 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 okay. Like... Like, I'm talking GBA, baby. Oh, wow. I was playing a lot of that. I I played a lot of uh, Metroid Zero Mission. That is really good. It's really good. You know what? Hey, guess what? There's a... Ton of good games on the GBA, dog. Oh man, yeah, yeah. I was kind of catching up on, on some really good ones. Like I was playing uh, Aria of Sorrow, another that, solid one. Yeah, just all games I never really got the hang of when I originally had a Game Boy. And now that I'm a 28 year old adult living in the city, taking the train, riding planes, getting on buses. I guess this is not me talking about Monster Hunter so much as it is me talking about this uh, gaming controller that I have for my iPhone. That's still pretty cool, though. This is uh, this opened my eyes. I'm going to probably pick one of those up immediately. I highly recommend it. I actually bought two different gaming controllers. Uh, this the, this one that you see here is the Logitech Game uh, PowerShell. There's another company, Moga, that created one called the Power Ace. And I'm not going to lie, it feels a little Fisher, Fisher pricey. It looks, yeah. it looks a bit closer to an Xbox controller. And what it is is... I would not use this as a like this power shell. You, I could put this in my pocket, and it could be my phone's case. Yeah, it's a little big, but like it's not that obnoxious given the context of where phones have gone in the past few years. Yeah, you know, it could be less obnoxious. It could be, but it could be. But it has been in jail. More. So now, now, let me tell you about a more obnoxious controller, which is like the the Moga Power Ace. Bit of a 
Fisher Pricey clunky device. I, but it feels like it was like designed by people that care about games because the buttons have good action on them. There's two two pairs of shoulder buttons, so a right and a right bumper, left and left bumper. There's two uh, there's two analog sticks. There's uh, one like D pad, so it's like a full on controller. Mm. Uh, there's not a I, I was using that for a bit. Turns out there's not a whole ton of games on the iPhone that take advantage of that setup. There's yeah, I mean, I guess like people are pretty specifically designing iPhone games now for the the platform. It's not like the only company that really doesn't like they have the the stupid D pad thing on the screen or whatever is like Square. They have all their old school RPGs on there. Yeah, and even Square's not that good about like uh, making their phones like controller compatible oh boy like when you're buying iphone games you like and you have one of these things like i just automatically start looking for games that support mfi okay uh, made for iphone controllers and like square Enix is like eh, maybe we'll put it in some maybe we won't you know we'll, 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 we'll decide ourselves i believe uh secret of mana got mfi support about a year ago that's important that counts yeah chrono trigger has not oh yeah, man, I I I would buy Chrono Trigger again. Actually, I'm one of those people. I bought it like five times at this point in my life, uh, and I will do it again for the iPhone. Dicks. Uh, anyway, Monster Hunter's pretty good. <laughs> if it ever goes on sale, I would actually recommend picking it up. I don't know if I'd spend fifteen dollars on it, but hey, like if if you want to kind of, it, it it's a, a real beginner's Monster Hunter. It, it was a lot like discovering my roots, you know. Kind of figuring out, oh, like, I see how these systems came into play now in the newer Monster Hunters. Now that I've played this older one, Monster Hunter Freedom Unite. Where did you catch on with the series to begin with? Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. Okay, and that was on the 3DS. That was on the 3DS, and at that point, Monster Hunter had gotten a lot more um, stylish. So, as far as, like, hunting monsters, because they were introducing some weapons that... uh that allowed you to kind of like leap in the air and attack monsters from above. And there was there was a lot more vertical, uh, relic, vertic, what, what's the word? Verticality. Verticality, yeah. Verticality. A lot of that happening. Then this game, it, it's it's a very flat game. It's very horizontal. It, you need to like think about how you're approaching monsters from that, from almost a strictly two D space. Uh, uh, but other than that, like. You know, it, it, it's real interesting because they, you could see the evolution of the series of how, like, it first started off as like, oh, we're going to be like this really clunky animation priority style, like, swords and shields game. Uh, and then over time, like, the most recent Monster Hunter, like, Monster Hunter, like, Double Cross, like, is just, like, anime, like, super moves. Like, they, they've introduced, like, all sorts of styles to these weapons. So you could use this weapon, uh, like, power style. You could use it uh, Bushido style. You could use it uh, uh, aerial style. And that's all really fun. Also, um, this game has a real bad problem with memory management. Because it's a big game. So if you're, like, doing other things, if you, like, cancel out of... Or if you, like, get out of the game, I don't know, like, check a Facebook message... Or, like, check your email, and I go back to the game. The game has already been dumped from the memory. 
on the iPhone SE. Uh, what does that mean? I'm sorry. That, that means so. So when you when you uh, freeze a program or an app, mm-hmm. like it goes into like a, a like a sleep state or a free, fro- frozen state, but it can only like depending on the amount of RAM your phone has, like you know, just like all other apps. Oh, okay. I think I get it. So it won't yeah. pause. It won't hold the suspended state of the game. It'll just restart the game for you the next time you bring it up. Yeah, which is fucking frustrating if you're like on a half hour long hunt. <laughs> Or like oh, or twenty minute long, like the longest hunt I've ever been on was like straight up like fifty minutes, and I still didn't catch the damn thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's frustrating if you're like 10, 15 minutes into a hunt, and like, oh, I'm just gonna switch, you know, some some podcasts, and then and I'm gonna answer the reply to this Facebook message, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm just gonna uh, I don't know swipe right on Tinder, I don't know. Like, you, you, um, you, you do any number of things and then go back to the game and it's like, oh. Like, I'll see that sometimes where games are restarting when you go away from them for too long, but they will always, like, be very good about auto-saving before you close up, and I guess not Monster Hunter. Not Monster Well, the thing is, like, you can only save, like, right before a hunt and during, like, a village, like, scene. So while you're actually on the hunt, you can't save it. So that sucks. Well, as for myself, Luis, mm-hmm. uh, I've been playing... Ratchet and Clank, the 2016 PS4 remake. So I, I had never played any of the prior Ratchet and Clank games. I, well, I played the first one for like an hour a few years back, and this seems like a great jumping on point. With uh, it's a reimagining of the first game, not even just like a reboot or a reskin. So it, it's straight up a Star Trek style, like oh, we're gonna do this a bit differently, are we now? Exactly, yeah, because. I don't know what the original story was, but the way they tell the story here is there is this burly dude called Captain Quark. No, that green green dude, right? Yeah. Superhero? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he starts the game in prison, and mm-hmm. he runs into another prison inmate, and the prison inmate's like, gosh, how'd you end up here? You're a hero. And Captain Quark's like, well, actually, this is how it happens. Oh, so it's told entirely like it's a it's told a flashback? Yeah, it's told in flashback from the, this guy Captain Quark's perspective of Ratchet's story, which is pretty neat. Uh, like Rat, the game itself, you know, is going along, and like Captain Quark will like narrate what's happening and offer his own perspective on the events and stuff like that. And it leads to some funny moments where they like they're acknowledging that this is a reboot of the franchise. Even one time, like a character like meets Ratchet and is like, "Have I met you before?" And Ratchet's like, uh, "I don't think so." I would say that the actual story they are trying to tell mm-hmm. is abysmal. Oh, yeah? It is the most boilerplate, basic, like, G-movie for kids plotline, but not, like, a good kids movie, where it's just, like, kids are stupid, so we have to, like, make things as basic as possible for them. So, a DreamWorks movie. By the way, take that, DreamWorks. You've had it too easy for too long. Oh, notice has been served by Luis Padillo at DreamWorks. You've been given the takedown. Uh, hashtag analysis. Yeah, that's the real analysis right there. Hmm. Uh, so, boilerplate. Didn't they actually come out with a movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, it bombs. It bombed oh, real bad. Did it get it like a full theater release? Yeah, the, the game came out at the same time as the movie, as like a cross-promotion. And uh, like the movie was mediocre to bad is from the Rotten Tomatoes ratings I saw. Oh. And the, it bombed. But the game is pretty good. Okay. And, 
And I say that because the gameplay itself is a lot of fun. Like, uh, I had never played these Ratchet and Clank games before, but there is something so satisfying about running around with the wrench and just, like, bashing boxes and mm-hmm. getting all the bolts to come out, and they fly everywhere, and then they, like, you suck them in, and you have these crazy weapons. Like, sometimes you just have regular guns, or you have a flamethrower, which is pretty cool to use, but then they have these outrageous guns, like the Sheepinator. Yeah, I wanted to ask, because this is Insomniac, right? Yeah. And Insomniac, like, has been known to, like, just put some crazy guns in their games. Uh, Sheepinator? Is that, does that turn people into sheep? It does, in fact. All right. But don't shoot a sheep with a sheepinator. Otherwise, you'll initiate a paradox and it will explode. Wait, what? Yeah. It'll it, explode? No, it'll explode. It'll explode. Yes, you can make exploding sheep. So you can turn people into sheep, but no sheep that you already turned into sheep, you don't, you don't shoot them again. Oh, well, maybe you want to. Maybe you need an explosion. Or you got the glove of doom where you throw it throws a ball out and out of the ball bursts like six robots and they all run around and target an enemy and explode. Oh no! <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> More oh, paradoxes. Oh, uh, um, isn't isn't there some sort of dancing weapon in the game? Yeah, that that weapon's really good, the Groovatron, because like it, you throw it out, and every every person caught in the the zone of the Groovatron starts dancing, and so they're all stunned basically, and it does bonus damage when you hit them with a weapon while they're grooving. Does that mean that there's a dance animation for every enemy in the game? There is a trophy in the game for using the Groovatron on every enemy. Man, does that include bosses? I think it does because the bosses have their own animations. Jeez, that's a lot of work. Imagine like justifying that cost to like Sony. Like, oh hey, uh, I noticed that you have an, an extra ten people on staff for uh, just dance animations. Yeah, no, we're we're making everybody get get down and boogie in those games. <laughs> Thanks for the paycheck, Sony. I would be there. I would be like, yes, this was a good idea. You, I'm glad you did this thing. It was worthwhile. <laughs> the only other Insomniac game that I kind of even touched has been uh, Resistance. Uh-huh. Follow, Follow Man. And uh, they had some like crazy guns on there, too, because, you know, like alternate World War II, where like invasion, like alien invasion happened. Whoa. Yeah. So it's a, so it's a lot of like World War II weapons, but with like alien stuff in them. So I'm I'm, gl- I'm glad to see that this newer Ratchet and Clank still keeps the crazy. If you're a Ratchet and Clank fan, this is pretty cool because like they have all these extra weapons that they brought in from the other games, and also you get collect trading cards as you go, mm-hmm. and they show like Ratchet and Clank. But also they have like all these random characters who I had no idea who they were, but from other games. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Oh, does this Ratchet and Clank have uh innuendo name? No, it doesn't. Uh, you know, I just, I just yeah. remembered that, that that was a trend for a while. To to listeners out there, do yourself a favor, go to the Wikipedia page for Ratchet and Clank and just like read all those names. And I know I've heard podcasts where these guys joke about the names <laughs> they do. Like, how do we make this like a dirty sex joke? but make it safe for kids. But if you're like me and you've never played one of these before, or if you're someone who has experienced those, I think this is another good jumping on point. Like, just the gameplay is really solid. The graphics are gorgeous. Mm. It only runs at 30 frames per second, which is a little noticeable, but they never drop below that, even with all the explosions and lighting effects and all the bolts flying out. So, like, I can accept that as a compromise. The only bad point I saw of the gameplay is and it's funny because Crash Bandicoot, the HD remake, just came out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that did, didn't it? There are multiple segments in Ratchet and Clank 
of you as Clank running towards the camera as something chases you from behind. <laughs> oh, man. Old school design. And it's not quite as bad because there aren't pits. Mm-hmm. You can see all the attacks because they're coming from behind you. Mm-hmm. But I was still thinking, like, this is dumb. <laughs> well, I hope I... Every time I happened, I was like, I hope I never have to do this again. There was a... That definitely is an era of gaming. What not it? Like, running towards the camera, running away from something. Like... Ratchet and Clank did it. Crash Bandicoot did it. Sonic did it. Uncharted did it. Uncharted. Well, I, I don't know if I grew up in Uncharted with the the, the mascot era of <laughs> video games, but like Uncharted did it all right because it's not like you were like avoiding obstacles running in front like in front of you. Like the yeah, that's true. You just the, the danger was from behind. Also, like I don't know. I remember Sonic. The, you, that Sonic level where the like the truck is going after you down that hill. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just messing up that road. Man, that was a good tech demo, wasn't it? That part, I love the first level of Sonic Adventure too. Rolling around at the speed of sound, got, got places to go, got to follow my rainbow. So Ratchet and Clank is pretty good, mm-hmm. and the key thing here is again with the price. It was just on sale. The, the sale has ended. It was on sale for like nine ninety nine on mm-hmm. the PSN store. So you can expect to see it on sale for really, really cheap mm-hmm. coming up, I'm sure. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Wait to that. I mean, I mean, I don't have a PS4. I have, I, as you know, I, I have a PS3 at the moment, uh, uh-huh. which, which is how I was playing Persona 5, which, hey, you know what? Looks, still looks pretty good. Yeah. It's not, it's not a very graphically intensive game. Well, you'll have to get back to that. Well, that's the game I've been playing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, I do have one more game that I want to bring up real quickly. Uh, it's just called The Calculator Game. So it's a level-based puzzle game. Uh, you load up the app, and it's as if you're loading up a calculator app, right? Yeah. But this in this in this calculator app, there seems to be like this... Are like the, this, this programmed entity saying like, Hey, I'm trying to get out of this calculator. Can you help me? I think if you solve these like number puzzles, you'll help me get out. So it has these steps of a calculator. The, the way the game works is that it gives you a starting point, a starting number, uh, an end goal number, and then maybe like two to three buttons that affect that operation. So let's say you want to go from five to ten, and you have a like, and the only buttons you have are a minus a two button and a times ten button. So that means, like, you would have to press that minus two button twice and then multiply that number by ten to get to your goal. And you only have a certain number of moves to get to that goal. Uh, but as as the game goes along, it you know adds like trickier operations. Like, okay, we're gonna do we're we're gonna add the add negative button. We're gonna do like the add digit button. And you only only you only get like four or five of these buttons max for like some like incredibly like tricky like. Oh, you're starting at at the number thirteen, and you need to get to the number negative three hundred and sixty-five. So you need to be aware of the properties of like how numbers interact when they yeah. multiply. Like, if I have an odd digit and an even digit, what happens if I multiply them? What happens if I add them? What happens? Yeah, there, there yeah. Is, so it it doesn't. It, you don't need. I like this game a lot, especially because you know I studied math in college, so I like playing around with numbers. Uh, I don't think you need to have an especially deep knowledge of math, but I do think this is a good math game. 
if you're ever digging around on the app store and don't know what to get, um, I, the calculator game is, is kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think everyone should check it out. It's a fun little game. All right. Well, that's one more game that's been played. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to our Choose Your Fighter segment, we're going to be doing Bill's Magic Minute now. All right. Bill's Magic Minute. Cue the theme. Give me some, give me some, give me some reason to be here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Magic Minute. This is a new segment. Yeah, so, this is new for me. Yeah. I need an avenue to discuss Magic Gathering. I don't want to have to qualify anything. I just want to like say what's on my mind to my captive audience. But I feel like it's only fair that I limit myself to one minute per episode. Do I need to like pull out my timer here? I have a stopwatch already open, but if you have one on your phone, that, that works too, probably. I don't know. I mean, maybe you don't have a stopwatch app on your I uh, typed in stop for stopwatch, and it pulled up the game stop app. So, oh, look cool. I've had I've had a stopwatch going for the past 313 hours. Oh, wow. Huh, let's so, look. like, from before you went to Mexico? Mate, I'm going to do the math on that later. Three, two, one, magic minute. In a kind of under-publicized post, they announced on the Magic Online blog that they're reducing the number of deck lists that they show from every... Uh, constructively, they used to show ten decks, and now they're going to five. And they're they emphasize that they'd be looking for a selection of different deck types. I think this is a little bit disappointing on their part because they seem paranoid that people are solving the constructed formats too quickly, and that that will discourage players because there won't be any room for innovation. But I feel by concealing the data that's available, they're accomplishing what they set out to prevent, which is stifling innovation by not allowing people to see what decks are actually out there. In Hearthstone, one of the things that I hear all the time that's most annoying is you don't know what decks you have to play until it's too late. I feel like they should expose all the results instead to offer more technology for the player. That was a magic minute. You were there for it, man. You were a witness. You can't take that back. That was truly magical. It was. Uh, I didn't understand a lick of that. Well, here's the important part, Luis. Yeah? They were put on notice of a takedown by Bill. Oh, shit. Hashtag analysis. Yeah. Mm. So now we're moving on to the Choose Your Fighter segment of the podcast. For this, Luis and I will go back and forth with one article, news event, or upcoming game that we're into until only one of us is left standing. For this, I'm going to keep the ball rolling. I'm going to go first here. Mm-hmm. Well, and then a little bit of a downer, and then we'll move to an upper. Let me yeah. get to yours, I think. That's how I do drugs. Yeah. I found an article recently on Polygon.com by Ben Kuchera, who I believe is the editor for the website. It is titled, The $5,000 Decision to Get Rid of My Past. And then the, sub- the subtitle is, When Your Games Become Your Ghosts. That damn, that's a... So that, that'd be at least a good a good title for an autobiography for, like, I don't know, John Romero. You know, and this is kind of an autobiographical thing he's written. He talks about how uh, in an earlier relationship, he's now married, but in an earlier relationship, he broke up with this woman. Mm-hmm. And then just a few days later, by coincidence, the two events are not necessarily related. His uh, entire video game collection got stolen. And I guess uh, according to the uh, the writing... He had many, many rare games, some unopened, uh, from all sorts of systems, and 
he was just destroyed. He was completely devastated. Yeah, talk about a one-two punch, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's it just... Uh, it was interesting to see, like, the way... There's authorial intent, but I think it was interesting to note as an outsider, like, he spent a long time talking about the video games. All right. And I think comparatively not as much time talking about his uh, ex. I felt like... And maybe... And he somewhat acknowledges this in the, the piece as well, but, like, he spends a long time trying to fill the hole in his life of his missing games. He tried to rebuild his collection mm-hmm. over time. And finally, just at the end of the article, he realizes, like, this is crazy. These games are doing nothing for me. They're just only allowing me to relive my grief from this bad time in my life over and over again. Because it'll never be the same collection it was Mm. when I lost it. That's gone forever. And so he decides to sell it all. He's going to, he reports that he has made the transaction. They're all gone. He's going electronic. He also talks about some possible marital issues, but that kind of gets glossed over a little bit for the end of the article, so hopefully he's doing okay. I hope he's doing all right. I've enjoyed Ben Kachera's writing in the past. Me too. Uh, He, he, I remember when he he did a lot of work at, uh, like, on Penny Arcade for a while, too. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, he he was, like, there, Penny Arcade was like, hey, you know what, we're gonna pay a game journalist to do things. And he did that for a while. I, I don't think that's how he got his chops, but I think that's how he became like a pretty recognized name. I feel like he has a connection too with the giant bomb people. I think he's been on like bomb, bot, like bombcast before. He was definitely part of their E three bombcast. I, I remember that. Yeah. Well, who hasn't at this point? <laughs> Us. Until next year. Until next year. Yeah. We could probably get press passes. We we need to be much bigger on YouTube at this point to get press passes. Yeah. I think. So this article, it really uh, made me uh, reflect on my own collection. I've talked about this in a previous episode titled The Pile of Shame, where, like, what what do you accomplish by just owning a game that you're never going to play? You know, I've been, I've been thinking about this, too, because, you know, I, I, I have stuff in a storage unit. I, you know, we, and, you know, living in, in Chicago, or I guess any... When you, when you live, like, in most cities, apartments mean that space is a commodity. So, and storage especially. So, uh, I don't know. I have a large, a fairly decent-sized collection of, like, old Nintendo consoles. So, like, my N64, my NES. And, you know, those those cartridges, they, they, they take up some space, man. They do, yeah. For me, growing up in the suburbs, uh, without going into too explicit a detail, there, there were issues in my household... Uh, with the occupying of space with certain things you wouldn't normally put in a household. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that has been something that's kind of been in the back of my head for the past like 27, 28 years, for as long as I was conscious of that situation. Right. And it's maybe extra sensitive to the idea of too much sprawl. Like I, I do accumulate stuff over time and then I have to purge it, but... Even still, like, the the intake on video games was definitely outweighing the output. Yeah, I've, I don't know, I've only really wanted to buy physical versions of video games at this point that I really care about. Because at this point, uh, I don't know, like, you know, I, I've been PC gaming for a while, and Steam has been a thing since 2006. Like, you know, like, since Half-Life 2 came out. Yeah. 
and then when like the advent of like indie gaming appeared on Steam, I remember like I don't know if you remember like these conversations, but people like talking about games like Audio Surf. And like, oh, did you see they put this game on Steam? Have you used Steam? Oh no, it's 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 a, a Valve thing. They put this game called Audio Surf on there. You should get Steam and try it out. It's like fifteen bucks. And like that idea that you can get like video games for fifteen bucks. And also, I don't have to go to the store? Fuck, hell yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the advent of cheap, ubiquitous games is, has made my uh, consumption mm-hmm. or my uh, my spending... It's I, I would say my spending is relative, within my means, but it's, mm-hmm. it still leads to having way more games than I can ever play. Right. And, and so, as part of that, I, uh, I eBayed a bunch of stuff. I eBayed a ton of physical games. Like, mm-hmm. you... You can see a shelf that's in your eyesight. Bill, I've always been impressed by your video game collection. It's always been a curated experience. And I thank you for that. And it's considerably smaller than it was before. There was uh, some stuff that's out there now that was in a box because I had no room for it. Mm -hmm. And it replaced other stuff that got shipped out. Mm -hmm. And even with the electronic stuff, you you get the Humble Bundles where they have the $1 games, where it's like, oh, I only want one of those games, and I get three more for a dollar? Ding. Yeah. It doesn't have to even be a game that I really want. This could be almost anything. Yeah. And so I uh, thought about it a bit, and I deleted like 100 games from my Steam account. Deleted? Yes. Not even like just hidden? I I could not... It it was too paralyzing to look at them. It, It made me anxious and unhappy to see that many games in my collection mm-hmm. and so I felt like I, I had to do something about it that's uh, I, man I don't know if I would have deleted that like I like I like having the idea of a library but uh, what I'll do is mo- I'll mostly just like hide that stuff in the background of a delete and you know what I, maybe maybe I should consider doing the same because there's a whole bunch of games on there that I'm never going to play and games that I've spent a considerable amount of money on, too. I remember for a while, I was like, you know what? I really need to try Dead Island. I really need to try uh, uh, Deus Ex. I, need, yeah. I really need to try uh, Batman Arkham City. Uh, I did try Arkham City, and I didn't care for it. Um, like, I would say we, we, each in our own way, we fancy ourselves as amateur tastemakers mm-hmm. for video games. Like... We have culture, culture palettes, and keep in mind, I'm using air quotes on all this, listeners. Yeah, we, like, we think we don't put your fingers on those air quotes. <laughs> we think we have good taste in video games, and as a part of having good taste, we try all the best games. Yeah, when we have not nearly the time, no one has the time to play every good game that comes out. I mean, when the Armageddon comes, and there's nothing left but to wait for the radiation poisoning to r- riddle your body, then yeah, there'll be plenty of time to play games. And then, uh, yeah. But until then, I yeah, I deleted like a hundred games from my Steam account. Yeah. I sold like I don't know, like around a hundred games on eBay, or I gave them the Salvation Army if it looked like there was no earthly way they were going to get anything on eBay. Mm. And I, I feel a bit better having done that. Honestly, tying it back in with Ben's article, it, it felt just like this thing that I have. It, what is it doing for me? Where, where, yeah. Where am I gaining in my life to own all this stuff? And, and you know, there, there, there's this, like, new thought of, like, of, of, of Japanese interior, like, design or, like, life organization. Um, 
I don't know if you've heard of this, but like... Like the it, Kaizen thing? Yeah, like, you know, the way the best way to clear out clutter is to like look at an object and if that object does not give you... You need to like consider if that object gives you any joy. Because mm-hmm. you got it at one point because it gave you joy. But you need to consider it's still giving you joy. And then if it's not, what you need to do is you need to thank the object for the joy it's given you and then get rid of it. It's always struck me as like a real like efficient way of like, yeah... You're right. Like, this, the things I have aren't, like, doing anything for me right now. Like, unless, like, that's a thing that I, I really care about or, like, is actively, like, bringing me joy just by owning it, you know? No, no. So I, so I can totally see, like, that, like, oh, like, what are, what are these games doing for me that, like, I'm not really playing? Like, for me, like, my N64 and my NES are sitting in a storage unit and not really bringing anyone any joy. I kept some stuff that I'm probably never going to play because I still have... A sentimental attachment to it. Like I have a pile of TurboGrafx 16 games there. I don't even have a way to play a TurboGrafx 16 game right now. You don't now. have a TurboGrafx, do you? Um, I think I do, but even if I did, you think you do? I think I have one back in Buffalo. Oh, but like I would need like a FrameMeister or something or a CRT TV if I really wanted to play those games. I think. Now we're talking. <laughs> that's yeah. That's a bridge to go down. Yeah. That, well, let's talk about getting CRTs to play old video games. Let's do that. Yeah, please. Uh, actually, no. I, I care. I care about your well-being, Bill. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Actually, I bought a, a Retro Freak to oh, play yeah. all my old games. Okay. And I used it once before I moved. Mm-hmm. And I tried to boot it up a couple days ago, and it bricked. It was a brick. What? What? So now I'm going with. I'm trying to go to the mat with the seller because the the manufacturer was like no warranty because. We don't offer a warranty outside of Japan. And the seller is like, oh, it's been too long. It's been almost a year. We can't do anything. And I'm, I'm hoping Amazon has my back here because I know it has been a long time since I bought it, but I used it once and it broke. I, I feel like I am agreeing. Yeah, I'm like on your side this. here. I don't know. Let's get Team SNB on this. Yes. Let's call up all the other hosts. What, 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 what's Dan up to? Let's get Die up on here. I will, I will there, take up the cause. Yeah, she'll, she'll punch a dude. She will. She totally will. I regardless of what we do, that's going to yeah, happen. It could happen regardless, but in this, it could be used for this contest. Mm. Uh, so, that I can see how that article had a, a close connection to. And that's, uh, but that's my thing. Uh, so, Luis, like, like I teased mm. earlier, I, I think you had a pretty neat thing that went on recently. Yeah, no, uh, I, as I alluded earlier, I've been traveling. I went to Mexico for two weeks, and uh, it was mainly for family re- reasons, but for the purposes of this podcast, let's just say I was observing the state of gaming, and much like uh, Arino Lecacho did in his visit to the U.S., he observed and reported back on the state of gaming in the U.S. to Japan. I'm here to report to the U.S. from Mexico. Excellent. We've got the Mexico news here with Luis Padillo. Hi. Hey. Yo, Mexicans like games. Oh, cool. Okay. That's the end of that report. Yeah. You can find so many bits on my email. So many bits No, gaming is like, it's a different experience in Mexico. Definitely. Yeah. I think before I continue this, this, this kind of report, air quote report, uh, 
I need to talk about like just sort of like the economic differences between the United States and Mexico, uh, especially when it comes to like living wages, mm-hmm. because like the dollar just like goes so much farther in Mexico than it does here. I don't know. I'm living that bachelor life, so I'm like kind of spending. I'm spending like what hundred hundred fifty bucks a week just staying alive. And this is not including bills. This is like food and like expenses and all that stuff. Yeah, all right. And, and that's and let's let let let's generously call that two hundred two hundred fifty dollars a week that I could be spending. I'm not spending that much, but that amount of money in Mexico could like sustain a person for like maybe a month. Whoa. Okay. And and that's just because again, just the the cost of everything is is lower in Mexico. If you think about like going to a bar and a beer being $6 here, that's ludicrous and absurd over there because you're going to pay max $3 for a nice beer. And then also, and that just, but generally speaking, that just means like the minimum wage or generally speaking wages are lower than they are here. Um, because it, you don't need that much to survive. Generally speaking. Now, with that being said, there are still a lot of people that love gaming in Mexico. And video games are not cheap, mm. is the thing. So even by our standards, like, if you went over there and said some, told someone to spend $60 on anything, you know, you're you're, you're in between a rock and a hard place. Like, it, 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 like $60 is, is not a small expense. But the thing is that video games over there don't cost $60. They cost easily like a new game will easily copy double that 120 bucks for like a for like a new game so like uh splatoon 2 is coming out soon so like that would be 120 bucks that would be the equivalent of 120 bucks uh i would and and i'm gonna pull out a calculator real quick because i have i i was using a, a quick currency exchange app for like small amounts but if i'm about to spend 120 Bucks. That's like ab- above. That's like twenty one hundred pesos, which for like some people that's like that's what they got that week, like working their job. Okay, geez. So yeah, this is a whole different landscape. Yeah. So so not only is it that even if they were spending the same money we were here, it would be considerable expense. But it's even doubled by the fact that just electronics are not easy to obtain in Mexico. There's importing costs and. And, and, you know, just like distribution is not what it is here. So those costs are going to go up. And also the market has like been shown to support it. So they're going to keep those costs up. So because of that, there's a lot of people still sticking around with like last gen gaming. People that still own Xbox 360s, um, PS3s, like the newer consoles are just like way, way like out of most people's leagues. Like a Switch, like the Nintendo Switch, you can easily find a Switch in Mexico. But you need to be prepared to pay uh, the equivalent of 550 US dollars. Yeah. It it is not... It's like gaming is not a cheap hobby over there. And it's definitely... And it's definitely seen as like a... a really upper class thing if you have like a whole bunch of new games. 
Okay. Uh, there are definitely people that like, especially in the city, where like a more metropolitan area, where it's like, oh, I'm just gonna get my like game for the next like couple months. So like, I I do think that a lot of Mexican like people like have are, are discerning that way when buying physical games, and that's the thing. That's just physical games. This is just gaming as we know it. But because of that, there are there are a ton of people there that love getting around. You know the the system, shall we say? Oh no! Are these more game systems that have like fallen bad times? Like they, you know, were like raiders on the high seas. Yeah, you know, so some of these game consoles might have you know an eye patch on one eye. Oh one no! A, a hair oh, on their shoulder. Are you ready to hear about the rest of this? Yes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, on this, like. So Mexican markets are so like if you think of like a, like like a traditional bazaar, like people like setting up a booth on the street, and like that booth like being covered by like a thin cloth like above for for weather purposes. There, like you know, you're in Mexico. You're gonna find all sorts of things like a booth that sells you tacos or a booth that sells you like uh, um, like clay pottery, and then next to the clay pottery booth. You might find a boot full of bootleg video games. Hey uh, I personally did not uh, engage in this behavior. However, this is common practice in Mexico. You um, you obtain a console, maybe an older one, an Xbox or a 360 or whatever, and uh, and electronics like people that fiddle around with electronics are like real commonplace there. So you you'll find someone like, oh yeah, I could totally mod that for you. Yeah, that'll be like, yeah, I'll, that'll be the equivalent of like twenty bucks. But you know, I'll do that right now. And of course, those twenty bucks go further in Mexico. But you know, once you unlock that console, then everyone just buys pirated games. Like there, there are like a million like like modded Xboxes, Xbox three sixties out there. Gotcha. Yeah, that and that's just commonplace. Uh, also, uh, arcades are still a big thing. Yeah, that's another thing you told me that that caught me off guard. Is yeah, arcades were pretty present. Yeah, you can you can easily find an arcade in any city or like local bazaar uh, because that you know that's just a business. People want to go buy. King of Fighters is so fucking popular in Mexico. That's that's an odd one. I, I don't know. I you know I just I don't get why that. Yeah, it's it's like you know you think about like oh like Mortal Kombat was only really popular in the U.S. Every uh, Japan has all sorts of fighting games. You know, Tekken still is pretty popular. Tekken's really popular in Korea, apparently. Um, but Mexico is just cannot get enough of King of Fighters. Like, like King of Fighters '95, '98, still machines for that. I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense because those were so that the Neo Geo MVS or whatever that arcade unit is called is pretty ubiquitous. Yeah, it's just there. There were just everywhere. So. Uh, because uh, the Mexican gaming market is so crafty, like th- these are like very like well versed individuals. You know their games are some- occasionally just in Japanese or in English, but never like happen in Spanish. That's not so true in recent times. But there were different times where you could only get games in English. So you, so if you wanted to play Splinter Cell, you could only play it in English. Uh, so a lot of Mexican ga- gamers are pretty savvy about like. 
oh yeah, we're gonna just consume these media, this this thing for other countries, and like kind of do it our own way here. Like arcade machines are constantly reprogrammed. Like I once played, uh, I didn't do it on this trip, but I did uh, once play a Metal Slug, uh, like no, yeah, it was Metal Slug hacked. Then I think they called it like Metal Slug like Rainbow Edition, which is like also like a weird thing. Rainbow Edition of things, <laughs> or met, or it reminds me of Street Fighter Rainbow Edition, or or Magic Edition they'll yeah. call it, uh, in which it they just like overpower every like Metal Slug character, and also like cut and paste levels that aren't even in the same game. It's like ridiculous that you can end up in a like level from Metal Slug. Like two, and then like oh wait, this is out of order because I remember I remember playing this. You go into you go into the mines and it turns into the mummy place, not the zombie place. Because I played this game, you can't lie to me. Magic edition of Metal Slug. Uh, so people love that. I also went to uh, an internet cafe and I found some coin operated Xbox ones. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, that that's. Yeah. So it's like a Play Choice 10, but for 2017. Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly it. You, uh, you, you walk into this place, uh, and just because I, I didn't, because this was like totally alien to me. Uh, but the the fact the fact of the matter is that because consoles are so expensive, uh, if you if you can set up, you can easily set up a business where you own a couple consoles and just let people play games. For like certain amount of time, so I went in and like I just kind of like I try not to reveal when when you're in Mexico, you know maybe it's always best not to reveal your tourist right away. Uh, but you know I asked around like oh yeah how much for the for the Xboxes like oh yeah five pesos for twelve minutes, and for uh, your consideration, five pesos is roughly twenty eight cents. So what five times twelve minutes? So five times five. Let's say you pay twenty five pesos an hour. It's a buck forty. So Man. a buck forty will get you an hour with an Xbox, uh, which I, I gladly play because just because I wanted to like be in there. So it like a lot of like guys in like suits and ties were coming in like on their lunch break and like just like smashing out some games of FIFA. The way it, and this is actually pretty ingenious. So the coin operated machine has an LED display of how much time you have remaining. But once you activate it, that machine seems to be the uh, the in between between the uh, console and the controller. So the Xbox itself isn't running on the coins, but rather the controller. The, con- the controller is is being coin operated, and That's like neat. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually like really clever because when you run out of time, the uh, the Xbox detects, oh, you're disconnected your controller. So we put this on pause and. Whatever. So there's no actual display on the television or any Xbox that recognizes this. This is all like you can you can even see like people have like wire tape these these wires into these machines. And uh, I, I went in there and I I, I played a lot of uh, Lords of the Fallen. <laughs> uh, we and because like it's just like somebody's X, like it's, it's somebody's XBLA account or whatever. Is Xbox Live Arcade still a thing? Yeah, yeah. It's all still, yeah, Xbox Live, Xbox Live Arcade. Yeah. Um, in either case, it was somebody else's account that I was playing on. And all these machines are hooked up on the internet. Now, do you think 
it was like the owner's account? Or do you think they found some rando account somewhere and just, you know? See, and, and here's the thing. I should, if I owned an Xbox, maybe I'd own, know a little bit more. But I do know that a lot of these games were installed on the machine. I don't know if if you switch users, if that affects their access to the game. In either case, like they, there was just like a whole ton of games on this machine. Hmm. Like I, I was hoping to play some Street Fighter, but uh, what not, could, could not could not find it. But you know, I played some Lords of the Fallen, which is by the way just Viking Dark Souls. <laughs> uh, and also, like before I knew it, like. About half an hour into the game, like I beat like the first boss, and you know, I, like, like I like did a fist pump like in my chair, and then I realized there were like three kids around me. They were just watching me play Lords of the Fallen because they couldn't Cause, put, probably put together the pace sets to play. They, that's the thing. It's like they're these are like the kids of like local people, like that are like working like the markets or if there are the streets out there, like selling tacos or or like you know musicians on the street and the kids are there along because you know school's out so they're just hanging around this fucking like internet cafe watching people play video games yeah Me- mexican gaming is definitely uh like a way different more way more different experience than it is here so like us you and me having like access to like ps4s ps3s like the nintendo switch like i let my like my uh my nephews and nieces play my Nintendo Switch because I brought it along so they could, you know, like, play Mario Kart and me and my cousins used to play Street Fighter back in the day. So, like, I got the new HD Street Fighter on, on the Switch so we could play that. I, I definitely feel like that sort of thing is more appreciated. Like, gaming is just... Because it's the access to it is, hard, like, harder to get to. Like, I definitely do feel like there's, like, more people that appreciate kind of that hobby... Because they can only access it at certain times, or if they have certain amounts of income. Uh, that is that concludes my report in Mexican gaming. I feel like there was a thematic contrast between our two our two offerings mm-hmm. that uh, was not apparent until we went through it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, over over here, like gathering games is something that's not that's not so unreasonable. You know, yeah. just because Americans are generally paid more for the same jobs that uh, are done in Mexico, and the games are cheaper, we, we just have more access access to them. But if you flip that script over there, it, just getting two games is is more difficult, and like generally seen for people with money, uh, unless you're you know hacking a system, right? Or or you know or uh, you're like getting the older generation of games. Those are probably get, get more manageable. Old, yeah. Uh, like, there were, my nephews and nieces still have PSBs. I was just thinking about it. Yeah, like, there's going to be a FIFA 18 probably this year for Xbox 360, and probably some people in Mexico are just like, yes, FIFA 18. Yeah, that's exactly that market. It is like, yes, because I can't afford an Xbox One because that's for, that's crazy expensive. Are you kidding me? Um, that, it's And that's also the same reason, like, those games... Like, the PS2 was still making games for so long. is because everyone in Mexico on the PS2 probably hacked. But, you know, for the people that weren't hacking, you know, they, they were still going to buy that game. Because getting a PS3 was 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 unreasonably expensive. <laughs> like, in, in, in several different ways. Uh, yeah, Mexico loves gaming. 
Ben, th- thank you. That was very revealing and very insightful. I, I appreciate you bringing that perspective onto the show. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was fun. It was fun to see what they had over there. Uh, I, I, you know, like just talking to people over there about the about the whole the whole state of things. Some people saw my um, my my fancy phone case for my iPhone, which is also a gaming controller because I'm a real gamer. Yeah, uh, and it was definitely seen like as a, as a really like opulent. Is that fair? It, 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 yeah? So I try not I try not to bust it out every now and then. You know, I'll, I'll I've you know I, I I'm not there, so I don't know, but I've heard. Yeah. No, that's there. Definitely are concerns with uh, safety at this moment in certain parts of Mexico, especially in certain parts of Mexico City. Um, so being seen as opulent, seen being or being seen as a terrorist. Uh, that though those are red flags there that you definitely want to kind of you know keep aside at, at this at this moment I, I would be hard pressed to recommend anyone go to Mexico unless they have family or like have friends there mm-hmm. they can show you around uh, going there on your own is not one hundred percent recommendable. Well, all right, I, I will keep that off my travel list for the time being. Just for the time being, they're they're. You're okay in making some assumptions right now because those assumptions may uh, uh, keep you safe. Okay. I will. I will keep them in mind. Then I will take them to heart. Uh, so, Luis, I'm gonna say it. you win. You you won the choose your fighter segment. Wait, I, I won. Yeah, you won. What? I I could not in good conscience call that a draw. That was. Oh man. That was an offering that took time and energy and thought to put together. Uh, on a level that is not comparable to mine. So you, oh, you have—I finally win one. Oh man! Suck it, every other host. I know you're listening. I think Dan listened, and I think with that we'll bring this episode of so many bits to a close. Luis, uh, if you want to be found either electronically or in person, where can we find you? Uh, in person, uh, you just this thing's empty. Okay. Uh, in person. Uh, you can always find me uh, in the night, in the wind. That seems difficult. I, I think we need a little more... Uh... I'll find you. Oh. Or you can just follow me on Twitter. At? At, at, at agent underscore Eli. Uh, that's, I, I've been posting more. Good. Uh, retweeting. Uh, I don't always look at who retweets, so if you just start retweeting, I might not pay attention. Yeah, I mean... I feel like we like each other's retweets enough. Yeah, that happens. Uh, also, I'm on Instagram if you want to look at pictures of puppies and, and and also sweet luchador videos that I took in Mexico. That looks cool, too. That was a whole other cool thing. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll talk about that in another episode. I didn't mention this earlier. This is gaming adjacent, maybe. All right. But uh, Dragon Ball Z was and still is very big in Mexico because it's just on network TV. So, that's just like shown after school when the kids get home. And and it's been like that since the early 90s. So, or like whenever Dragon Ball Z like first got translated to Mexico, like to Spanish. So, while in this luchador match, like these guys were like beating the living crap out of each other. And like, you know, it's a very acrobatic sport. Like doing like flips off of the rope. Um, there was a guy on the floor and 
And after, like, these two dudes beat him up uh, and were about to elbow drop him, they did the Dragon Ball Z fusion dance around him. Oh, my God. And then, you know, kind of, like, did, did the whole finger pointy thing. Yeah. And then elbow drop that guy. That's awesome. And everyone was into it. Everyone lost their minds. I am in favor of this. Uh, so, yeah. One really good reason to go to Mexico is to see some goddamn Lucha Libre. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we're supposed to end an episode. No, that's that's okay. I like Lucha Libre. Yeah. Uh, as for myself, we, I can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. We're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download us from Spreaker, from SoundCloud for as long as that lasts, uh, from YouTube. Uh, we stream games. I'm on Twitch, twitch.tv slash so many bits. Usually playing Magic the Gathering online, but maybe I should branch out a little bit, try some other stuff. And last but not least, please check out the rest of the Second Wind Collective for other quality podcasts. Support independent art. The spirit of Dell compels you. Oops, I wasn't recording.